sneaky. They end too fast. And you're like, oh, there's another verse. No, there's not another verse. Oh, it's terrible. Um, Sally, Natalie, if you please follow Alicia behind you there. She'll happily take you. Everyone else, welcome. I am joyful that you're not sick because that seems to be going around. I think they said some kind of trifecta flu season. Ah, it is what it is. And it always is what it is. And we roll with the punches. We take it as it is. And so, but here we are, week three of the Matthew series. And even though I said initially, I'm like, you know, we're not doing the Advent themes. We're not doing the hope. We're not doing the love. We're not doing the joy. We're not doing the peace. As much as I might have said that, well, the Bible tells me differently <laughs> and continues to tell me differently all the time. So this week is certainly about joy. But just to recap, look at the hope that we had for not just ourselves, but for our friends and family when we saw the list of names, the genealogy of Jesus, and how he actually came through a whole line of wicked people, just like us today. <laughs> but he's not coming through us today. But praise the Lord for that. And that hope certainly has no doubt in it whatsoever from a biblical sense, whereas earthly hope is nothing but doubt. I sure hope you guys like me. I hope you like my sermon. I hope you come today. I hope, I hope it's filled with doubt and you hear it because it's like, well, maybe you will, maybe you won't. But biblical hope, there is no doubt within it whatsoever. Much like the next thing we talked about, which was love. And in love, it is perfect and complete, and we are not perfect and complete. And there's a lot to say about certainly how the Lord has sent down his son to bring him as an infant, and to, to lead the perfect sinless life, but also the blessing of the Holy Spirit that was revealed to us last week, as well as certainly the Father and using his wisdom. And so joy, this week we're talking about uh, the three wise guys. Um, no, I'm kidding. All right, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. They're not the wise guys. But uh, the, and it's not three, two, by the way. That's another thing that we do that isn't biblical truth. But for some reason, it's ingrained in us that there were three of them. But the Bible doesn't say how many there were. So there could have been a dozen or more wise men. We just don't know. But I'm getting distracted. <laughs> joy, joy is a state of mind. It is certainly tied in with gladness and happiness, but joy is a state of mind, a choice, if you will. You can either have joy or you cannot have joy in that sense. The Bible commands us in many different ways, but we see that three wise men are filled with exceedingly great joy upon seeing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That joy should have hit all of us already. But I'm hoping that today it'll help bring it back a little bit too. So, dear Heavenly Father, as always, I thank you for your word and I thank you for the newness of life that you've given each of us. Certainly, uh, as many of us are out ill today, but praise the Lord that you still continue to work within us and that there's still ways to continue to be fed and continue to love one another as you've loved us first. And so, Lord Jesus, as I approach your word, certainly use me well. And, and may this be filled for your glory and ultimately our good. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. 
reads this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the temple, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Amen. So, let me briefly summarize this for you. The real point here, it's very strictly theological. It shows that the Messiah was born in Bethlehem as predicted, and that his appearance brought division among the people. That's the, the long and the short of it, if you will. But this being a Christmas passage as it is, and many people certainly preaching it over the course of centuries, there's a lot of talk, if you will, about a lot of different things. And I want to strike back to the point that between the Old Testament, where it ends in Malachi, to the time of Jesus' birth, there's 400 years of silence. 400 years of silence for the people of God. There is no hope. There is no life. They felt abandoned by God. They were abused by other nations, if you will. So... Life kind of stunk for them. Now, the beauty of this, and even in the first point, if you will, is you see things about wise men and you see things about stars. And then there's a lot of speculation about wise men and then there's a lot of speculations about stars, putting this in history. But in this gospel, this is the only one where you get this story. Luke doesn't cover this. Luke goes a different angle than this to continue to tell about it. But in Matthew, Matthew talks about it this way. So we're, we're looking for wise men from the East in an effort to try to understand. But at the same time, 
it's actually pretty simple to understand. But people are like, well, were they from Indonesia? Were they from China? Were they from... This makes a difference how. This makes a difference how that God put a star in the sky and that men who were wise because of the Lord, let's not forget where wisdom came from. That would be a great disservice to Ron and his four weeks of, of preaching that sermon series. Wisdom comes from God. The only reason these guys are wise is because God has revealed it to them in that way. Now, this also can tie in a lot to the dispersions, if you will, how God certainly used Assyria and Babylon to separate his people, and then his people went to all the edges of the world. Now, it really hasn't ultimately happened yet because Jesus, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, after he's been you know, raised again, says, go therefore, you know, make disciples and you will be my witnesses to Samaria and all Judea and everywhere else. But that doesn't mean that God's people didn't disperse elsewhere beforehand too. And it's highlighting another impressive fact about the gospel that this isn't just for the nation of Israel. This is for every human being on the planet. Look at the title of the entire sermon series, The Only Universal Hope of salvation for all people. Has nothing to do with race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, sin level status, <laughs> you name it. Any kind of status you want to try to define yourself to, it's irrelevant. All people. That's our Lord. He's the Lord of all. King of kings and Lord of lords. So, in the, the fact-finding history, again, I don't want us to lose the point that, again, this is showing Jesus as fulfilling prophecy, that he's come from, or was born in Bethlehem, which is what the prophet says, uh, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And then in words, he certainly is, you know, who he says he is, as well as in deeds and what he's done. Much like I told you last week, the entire thrust of the whole gospel is summed up in verse 21. They shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Nothing more, nothing less, but that's exactly what he does. But there is so much more, but you certainly can't take away from Jesus at all in this. Because that is the moral of this whole story. The whole birth, the whole Sermon on the Mount... The whole discipling, the whole, you know, taking it to the Pharisees, the whole trial, everything was about saving you and you and you and you and you people at home from your sins to give you an opportunity to be reconciled back to the Father. An opportunity that you cannot earn yourself. And so... We see this, the wise men. Why are they wise? They're wise because of the Lord. You can't deny that. That's the only reason they're wise. Now, some people look at that as a title, but I look at it as, as its simplest form. We can go dig and we can go try to find where these wise men came from, or sometimes they're called magi, and we can try to understand what the magi were doing and why they were doing it, but it doesn't say that, does it? It doesn't say anything other than, Wise men came from the East. So why do we spend so much time trying to understand and analyze wise men when we know nothing about them, nor can we? We can speculate, speculate till the cows come home, but that doesn't make 
any difference because assumptions are just those assumptions. They're not good. They're not the truth. So the same thing, unfortunately, happens in this passage about a star. There is so much controversy over this star. And I'm like, you're missing the point that God guided his people. It's just that simple. God guided his people to see his son. It is written many times that the father is pleased to reveal the son to his people. And that's exactly part of my conversion testimony is your conversion testimony. Like I heard the name of Jesus. I was introduced to the son by the father using a multitude of different people and situations and circumstances. And in the end, like in point three, I fell on my knees and I worshiped him because Jesus is the Messiah and the king that is worthy of our attention and our worship. So these wise men too, again, Gentiles from the east. That's the important thing to know here. And when you think about it too, in God's plan of salvation and how this is now the only universal hope for all people in the world, the first people that came to see Jesus in the manger were Gentiles. They weren't even his own people. They weren't even Jews. That is like, wow. And then you see the human response in the second verse, or the second point of how the Jews responded. They were troubled. How can you be troubled when your Messiah and your King is here? There's a lot to talk about with that. But certainly... Understand that the controversy over the star, the controversy over the angel, the controversy over the magi never detract from the point of God's working in our lives and in the lives of the wise men, first to make them wise, then in the point of the star. Whether it is an actual star, whether it was an angel that was up there, however, don't lose the points that God has brought this about and he's revealing his great plan. And for those who have been waiting for 400 years, this is exciting. <laughs> this is joy upon joy upon joy because it's that satisfaction of knowing we haven't been abandoned. We haven't been left here to suffer for no reason. God's plan just takes a little longer than we want sometimes. But remember, he's eternal. So he's not bound to our clock like we are where we're constantly waiting and we're impatient because our package isn't coming till 10 p.m. when it should have been here at 6 p.m. So we see this. I also want you to see that Jesus in this entire passage is portrayed as the king of the Jews. He's portrayed as the Christ. He's portrayed as the ruler. He's portrayed as a shepherd. And he's also portrayed as a child. And that's certainly the most interesting part about Jesus coming to earth. Because all the Jews expected that it wasn't going to be some child that would be born. God would come down in flashes of thunder and lightning and just nuke the enemies of Israel. Just wipe them all off the face of the earth. And then he'd take his throne and he'd make his people uh, profitable. <laughs> and so they looked towards human things as a result, but Jesus came to save us from our sin, not to give us an amazing nation, 
not to give us wealth beyond measure, not to make sure that you were healthy all the time, not to make sure to save you from your sins so that you can return to the Father. And that's what it's about. And so Jesus is most definitely the Messiah and King worthy of our attention and worship. And again, he is the only universal hope of salvation for all people. And in this very simple point, wise men came from the east. Like, where's this king? We know he's here. We know he's coming. Then we go into a little more of the story. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him in point two. And so just to start off and to repeat it, like, oh, little town of Bethlehem, what a, what a great song, you know, to sing today, because boy, that made a ton of sense. And I'm kind of embarrassed. I didn't think about that. <laughs> like, derp. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. That kind of makes sense. Bethlehem's all right here. But uh, they did talk about it initially, or God laid down the prophecy back in Micah, in chapter 5, verse 2, about this. And, and so much in these first four chapters are about linking Jesus as that promised Messiah. You know, this isn't the first time that he's brought up quotes, you know, from the Old Testament or using the Old Testament or genealogy. Like Matthew is putting Jesus in history. And he's also putting Jesus in prophetic fulfillment at this point. And that's part of the reason why Bethlehem's there. But I see this part as being troubling because Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And I see our world troubled by the name of Jesus too, along with a whole slew of people who know of Jesus, not because they've studied Jesus themselves or, you know, have read scripture or have read books or done anything like that, but because their mom's brother's second cousin's aunt's uncle said one time that Jesus was this way, that they believe it that way. They haven't gone on the mission for themselves. It's troubling that so many people think they know Jesus when all they do is maybe know of Jesus. And even then, it's not the historical facts of who Jesus is and how he came into history. And, you know, there's so much that supports this outside of Scripture, just the same as in Scripture. But the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever and lasts forever. And so we take it for what it is. And we see Matthew being a Jew or Levi, we read more about him in Matthew chapter 9, that he understood the Old Testament. And then he's like, oh, this is him. This is him. He sees it. How does he see that? Well, because God's given him wisdom. God's given him the Holy Spirit to understand that Jesus is who he says he is. And all the prophecies of the Old Testament now relate to him. There are, quote-unquote, over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfills. Now, I don't know because a lot of times as human beings, we, we say a lot of different things about prophecies, or this is a prophecy, but it may or may not be a prophecy. But statistically speaking, one man to fulfill 300 prophecies I don't even know what that ratio is. I forgot. I talked about it once before. It was like one in 48 bazillion people that one man would fulfill 300 biblical prophecies. And so people always have a choice. And ultimately, this is, I guess, kind of responding to the light. 
Have you seen the light? Most everybody's seen the light. Jesus is a name that everyone in certainly the United States has heard, as well as in other countries. And even in those other countries, they must know that there's a creator if they're still simplistic, if you will. And so God is sovereign over everything. And he is the God of salvation. He is the reason we have hope, which is a confident expectation in Christ. He is the reason we have love, if you will, or why we can even love other people, because God is love. And it's the whole reason for life in and of itself. And we'll get to this later, but God, you know, is our joy. And there are tons of reasons that we can be joyful just thinking about the Lord. But it's hard in this world because it's dark. And because the world is dark, we needed light. And Jesus is that light because it gives us reason as to why we're here, why life happens at all. So the problem with people is that we have problems. <laughs> we are sinners, right? So I look at this verse and, and it seems that Herod, like I know the rest of the story and I'm trying not to jump ahead because next week is where Herod does his evil deeds. But in this week, Herod kind of plays innocent a little bit, if you will. Oh, there's a new king. Oh, that's great. I love kings. I'm a king. How wonderful is that, that there's a new king? Wow. Well, go and search diligently for this child, please. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And he did this, not openly in the public. He did it secretly. And so we know secretly that usually a lot of good things don't happen in secret. A lot of deviousness happens in secret. I think we've all been there. And I want to introduce you to one of my favorite Proverbs. And sadly, uh, Frank and Debbie aren't here because they gave me a really nice picture of it and I didn't bring it. But Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man but it is the will of the Lord that endures. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the will of the Lord that endures. I think I just described human nature to you in its entirety. And that comes from wisdom literature, which comes from experience in God. And so Herod has plans in the mind of this man. But we know it is the will of the Lord or the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So despite this deceitfulness, despite all these issues that we may have, but I guess we need to talk. Why do you think the people are troubled by Jesus? And not just in that time, but why do you think people are troubled by Jesus in today's time? It's a lot to think about, and I want to talk to you about three different ways. Emotionally, intellectually, and volitionally. Those are the three ways that generally encapsulates why people don't want to deal with Jesus, or try to ignore Jesus, or move away from Jesus. And I want you to know that it's present in this too. And it's present throughout the rest of the gospel in Jerusalem and the Pharisees and why they don't want Jesus around. 
a lot of people don't want Jesus around. And emotionally, it's the feeling of not good enough. It's inadequacy. It is a pride issue at the end. I'm not going to lie because whether it's like, look at me, look at me, I'm awesome, or it's poor me, poor me, I'm terrible. The point and the moral of the story is it's all about you apparently. Whether you're prideful or sorrowful, it's all about you. Yeah, I'm pointing at you, sir. No, no, <laughs> no, not at all. And uh, But emotionally, you know, we are a little weak and a little frail. We have problems with acceptance. We want everybody to like us and everyone to love us. And now there's this perfect, holy creator and I am inadequate. How, how do I get there? And I'm not, I'm not even going to bother because I know I'm just not good enough. It's like Eeyore walking around, right? Oh, bother. <laughs> like, you know, we, we have this amongst many people and that's not the case because I want to re-give you some joy that every human being is created in the image of God and every human being is worthy of dignity and respect. Set that sink into your heads, okay? So that these people that aren't good enough, they need to know that they are because they're created in the image of God and they're worthy of dignity and respect because they're created in the image of God. Alone. That's it. End of story. I get it. You're a sinner. I get you've done bad things. I get that we've all done bad things. There's no scale of bad things. Because once you've done a bad thing, you're guilty and you're done. How do you get unguilty? The only hope of salvation for all people, which is Jesus. Because he pays for your sins that you can't pay for. Very important. So emotionally. Then there's the intellectually. And Herod, in the next part, he's, he's like, man, I'm going to snuff out this king. I'm, no problem. I'm smarter than him. He's just a silly little baby. If I just take out all the babies in the area, he'll be gone. No problem. He's intellectually smarter than God. Many people in our society feel that they are intellectually smarter than God. It's really interesting to me because you're not. <laughs> I'm just going to come right out there. You can come at me. That's totally fine. But we're not smarter than God. We don't know how the world began. And here, I'm going to shock and blow your mind. Whether it's the Big Bang Theory, whether it's evolution, whether it's from the goo to the zoo to you, whether it's, you know, intelligent design, whether it's, let me tell you, each one of those statements I just told you, you're going to take on faith. You're going to take on belief and you're going to take on the word of trust. Do you know why you're going to? Well, because you weren't there. So while you may think you're smarter to think that, oh, this big bang happened and all this diversity of creation happened all from a single cell, little molecule, there certainly wasn't any thought process involved in that. It all just kind of happened. It was this amazing, glorious accident. And with it being a, an amazing, glorious accident, you've just insulted yourself and every human being on the planet because you've declared life to be an accident. So why even live life? That's what people are thinking. That's the hopelessness when they don't see the light that God has. They don't know why they're here. They don't understand the purpose of life. So they make their own purpose and try to fill in this gigantic hole that they have in the hearts of who they are with all kinds of different things, whether it's materialism or relationships or whatnot. But 
intellectually, I get it. We do. We, we, we prize people for their intellectualism. We prize people for their wisdom, if you will. But nobody is smarter than God. It's impossible. And as much as you want to get away from faith or say that faith is some kind of weak argument, well, the creation of life as you know it is taken by faith in its entirety. Regardless of what stance you take, it's all taken by faith. And you can't change that. And guess what? That makes you just like the rest of us. So regardless of how intellectually smart you are, you're using faith just like us silly Christians. Then lastly, it's volitional. And you see that too in Herod. I'm the king. I do this. Me, me, me. I'm the king. I do what I want to do when I want to do it. There's no other king above me. So volitional is volatile. And it means that you're in love with your sins more than you're in love with your savior or your world or things of that nature. And when you see Jesus being volitional as you are because you're full of yourself and you want all the gold for yourself, you want all the, the frankincense and myrrh for yourself too. We'll get to what those are. But, uh, you know, you want everything for yourself, right? And, and so... He's going to take it away from me. He's going to change me. He's going to make me do things I don't want to do. Because I'm a sinner and I love my sin. Those are the three ways. And so King Herod, Jerusalem, the Pharisees, you can see those three attributes in them. You can probably right now see those three attributes in you and you're like, get down, get down. I don't want you to deal with you anymore right now, right? I don't want to be intellectually smarter than God. Because I'm not, and I know that, but man, I sure try to be. And, you know, emotionally, I'm not good enough. But man, Jesus, like, came because no one's good enough. So therefore, like, I have a chance. This is great. But the volitional part in us loving sin, make no mistake about that. And so Jesus is going to trouble people. And those are the ways that he's going to trouble people. And you see that in this story, that right from the get-go, man, the king is like, whoa, there's no other king. And then all Jerusalem's troubled, like, Oh, man, does this mean that, like, our judgment's coming down on us? Does this mean, like, God's going to, I don't even know what he's going to do, but he's going to do it, and I don't want to be part of it because it's going to hurt. Who knows? Who knows, right? I'm speculating. I'm assuming. But at the same time, throughout all of the scripture and the history, you see these things, and so people aren't going to like Jesus for those reasons. So understand that, especially when you're talking to them, especially when people think that they're better than you because, their faith in the Big Bang Theory is better than your faith in intelligent design and the fact that there is dignity in life as opposed to just an accident. So you see those. But we get to the last point, and this is the best part of it, and it deals with the joy. And, and all of these sermons that I've been doing for years, I hope have some semblance of joy in them because joy is certainly that glad listen gladness and happiness. And it is what we, I'll just read the definition. It's much easier this way. So the, the Greek word, it, the Strong's number is G5479, and it's hara. Hara. It sounds like hooray, but it's hara. And so that's the word for joy. And it's closely related to gladness and happiness. And although joy is more of a state of being than an emotion, it is a result of choice. Okay? 
and it is a result of choice. Honestly, I look at it this way. If I wanted to watch the news all day and be morbidly depressed, I could totally do that. If I want to spend some time in the Word or some time in prayer and perhaps be filled with joy, I can totally do that. It's my choice, one way or another. I can be morbidly depressed, I can be filled with joy. Sometimes I don't get that choice, and I just roll with the punches, and I try to find the joy in there, <laughs> right? But, you know, we're, we're human beings. It's not all sunshine and rainbows. So we know that there's valleys, and we know that there's peaks. And because of both, that's the human experience. And that's a great human experience because it changes who we are. Remember, suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because of God's great love that has been poured into us. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit, to Jesus coming, and God the Father giving us wisdom, does in all of this. And so, joy is also one of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy... Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. You want to know how to live your life? Live your life in love, in joy, in peace, in patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's part of the, the experience of being a Christian because we have joy that other people don't have. And hopefully this joy is what exhumes and shines out of us when we get really excited, when we're, we have that, that shiny little evangelism experience and say, oh, let me tell you about Jesus. I love Jesus. And people are like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, I love Jesus. That's what's wrong with me. <laughs> there are worse things, right? There are tons worse things than loving the Lord. And if you're not going to like me because I like Jesus, that's honestly your problem. You know, I've said this before. God is not a monster. He gives people what they want. If they don't want a relationship with the creator of heaven and earth and everything that's in it, and they just want to live their life in the darkness, in sin, doing whatever it is that they do, then so be it. But that's not the life. That's a very empty life. It's a very dead life, and it ends very abruptly. Now, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That's what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians. So there's a lot to deal with the joy. And I'm going to get to why can you always have joy and tie up the package together. But I do want to talk to you again about Jesus in this. Because I think one of the coolest things, unfortunately, while people think that there's three wise men because there's three gifts. Like the, there's who knows how many wise men. You know, there's speculations from three because, well, there's a gift of gold, there's a gift of frankincense, and there's a gift of myrrh. And honestly, the thing I bought in the store only had three wise men. So because the, the nativity set that I bought in the store had three, it must be true. No, it's, it's, it's not. But the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh, there are certainly a lot of different ways that we can look at that. But I think that this really gives glory to the Lord too. And especially what Matthew's trying to highlight. So the very first thing they give him is gold. Okay. Gold is a king. It's for kings. Kings have treasure. This makes complete sense. Very normal. Seems logical. Go throughout the history books. Kings and gold go hand in hand like uh, peanuts and caramel. Or peanut butter and chocolate. They're both delish, right? <laughs> yeah. 
No, not peanut butter and jelly. You keep that over there, sir. <laughs> That's your truth, not my truth. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But uh, the frankincense. It's a fragrant gum resin that can be ground into powder and burned to produce a balsam-like odor. Any, any thoughts on what that could possibly have to deal with? Well, let me help you. What did they always burn in the temples? Incense. Frankincense is a type of incense, especially when you grind it up and burn it and it smells like balsam. It's an incense. This shows Christ's deity. It shows his holiness worthy of worship. So you've got the gold for the king. You've got the frankincense for his full deity. Got any idea what myrrh might be for now? It's for his humanity. And myrrh is much like frankincense in the sense that it is a fragrant gum resin obtained from certain trees and used, especially in the Near East. And where did the wise men come from? the East, in perfumes and, here's the important part, medicines. This helps to show his humanity. There was a need for, not necessarily for Jesus, but you get the picture. You see a king, you see a god, and you see the healer, if you will, too. So you've got his full deity, his full humanity, and his kingness, all tied into those three gifts. Now, could that all be speculation? Yes. Does it give glory to the Lord, though? Yes. So am I okay with that? Yes. <laughs> because it gives glory to the Lord in all of this. So why can you always have joy? Why can you always have joy? I'm just going off what we've got in this sheet, in this little thing. If I opened this up to the expanse of the Bible, we would be here for many hours longer. Okay, but I'm going to try to sum this up in five ways, right? And it's just from this passage. So the first one, ways to have joy, regardless, brothers and sisters, of whatever situation you may find yourself in, see God's sovereignty over all creation to always see his will and his purpose done. You have an evil guy inherited. And we know the story of Jesus and how it ends and how it's still going today. Herod's evil didn't stop the plan. If we went throughout all of history, all of man's wickedness did not stop God's purposeful, good plan by any means. That's joy. That's good news. That the Lord that I know, who is good, whose purpose remains, whose word lasts forever, can't be thwarted. This ties back into the victory is won. What do you have to fear when the victory is won and you know who you are and where you're going? Awesome. Awesome sense of joy there. Now, the next one kind of ties into the first one that you see in this passage. We talked about sovereignty. Now let's talk providence, God's providence to work directly or indirectly in the lives of all people. Okay? The wise men became wise out in the East, maybe because some Jews had traveled to the East 
They shared the good news or shared the Old Testament in the scrolls and what the Messiah was going to look like. God intervened in that sense with his people. So he told them. The star in the sky, whether that's an angel, a star, a freak, whatever, who knows? It's irrelevant to me because God put a sign for people to follow. Much like Jesus is here, you hear about him to follow. God's providence, he's working in that. He gave a sign, he gave his people, and he continues to work within that. And there's even more in this passage, but we'll keep going. He does work directly and indirectly in the lives of his children. And that's good news. And that's a joy. I know my Lord is good. I know he's called me out of darkness into his marvelous light, if you will. And I'm his. And I'm his eternally. There's joy in that. It's like, okay, you can, you can hate me. That's fine. The creator of heaven and earth and everything else loves me. You got a problem. I don't have a problem. There's a joy in that, right? There is a joy in that. And it's a mindset because I know my Lord. So regardless of all the jerks around me, the Lord says I'm good. So, well, not good. We need a savior. So, but he loves me. It's okay. <laughs> the next one. The next one you get from this passage, God's countercultural nature to bring the king of kings as a helpless baby with no army or wealth. And you're like, wait, that's not really that joyful of news, is it? But the joy of the Lord in his countercultural nature and that things aren't the way that they work here on earth. They actually work perfectly in heaven and with the Lord and everything like that, whereas they do not work perfectly here on earth by any stretch of imagination. Sometimes it goes right, sometimes it goes horribly wrong, who knows, but that countercultural nature fills me with joy in this, and especially as he brought his son, because God fulfills his promises, but it may not be the way that I think it is, and that is a good thing. I know I've told you the story of how we ended up in this building, and I love this building, and I love stained glass, and I love old like architecture from that, that time. But we initially were looking at another building, and this other building like seemed to fit very financially for us and a lot of other different reasons. But then we didn't get that building, and then I was furious and angry, and I didn't know what else to do. So I came to a Hispanic church where they don't speak English, and the, the guy's daughter literally translated the entire service for me in English uh, and, and like the list just goes on and on and, and, and again that countercultural nature I never would have done you know come here and all these other different steps in the process happened if Eric had just gotten his way because Eric knew best turns out Eric doesn't know best and that's okay that's God's countercultural nature that I can rely on his promises but it may not work out exactly how I want it to work out. And that's exactly why Israel had issues. How can you send a baby when I'm looking for a warrior king? But that's God's countercultural nature, right? And that's the beauty of it, because he makes it so much simpler and easier than we make it. And even though, like, we, we, uh, yeah, either way. The fourth, God's steadfast love. God's steadfast love in his faithfulness, his covenant commitment, and his sending in his son. 
And that can be from the whole chapter. I think his faithfulness was really shining in the genealogy and, and continuing on that covenant commitment to the forefathers and Abraham using despicably wicked, evil people. You know, but Jesus still came, still came, you know, and that's God's like, once you're in, you're in. You, you can't lose it. You can't lose your salvation. So that's good news too. Then the, well, the fifth one, and I guess I was wrong because there's a sixth one. Imagine that. No. But Jesus, as our mediator, who he reconciles us back to the Father, right? This is good news. This is reason for joy that I can have a right and real relationship with the creator of heaven and earth and everything that's in it. It's because Jesus is our mediator. Jesus is also our prophet who tells us what the kingdom of heaven is like and what to expect. Then he's also our high priest who is able to atone for our sins because you need a high priest to atone for sins. And just by the looks around the, the room that none of you are high priests. So we need a high priest. This is joy that we have a high priest and his name is Jesus. And not just a high priest, but he's also our king. And we know certainly that there's joy that regardless, especially like, I don't know how many times I've said this over the course of the last few years of ridiculous government stuff going on in our country. Jesus is king. He's Lord of Lords. Your job is to pray for the leaders. Hopefully because we live here in the United States, you vote because that is a grace you've been given to have a voice in this country. Hopefully you don't abuse that. But if you do, that's your choice too. But here's the thing. Regardless of who's in political offices or regardless, Jesus is king. King of kings and Lord of lords. You're just required to pray for your leaders. Not kiss one's butt and badger another. And I see that way too much, that you're kissing one guy's butt and badgering another. You're sinning. You're literally defaming a human being created in the image of God while you're badgering another person. And then you're worshiping a human being too, just the same. Why would you want to worship a sinner condemned to hell? I don't think anybody's got a solid answer for that. So everybody that looks at politics as their answer and their hope, like you can see how seriously misled they are in this. And so, but not only is he king, not only is he high priest, not only is he prophet, not only is he mediator, most importantly, going back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, he is our Savior. He came to save us from our sins. And even just explaining that little bit about politics, man, we all need a Savior. Because it is an ugly state of the union out there. And there's no reason for it other than you got a bunch of people bent to their own way because they're all sinners wanting their own way. And then when people can't seem to agree, which is oh so surprising, then chaos happens and we're all shocked by this. And it's like, no, this isn't shocking at all. This is people being people. And then lastly, I want to remind you all of this as well, especially as brothers and sisters in the Lord. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession. That you might proclaim the excellencies of him, not you, of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 
That's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And that is prolific and amazing and a true statement and a testimony to the grace that God has given us. Because while that is one verse in Scripture, there are so many other things we are too. We are his adopted sons and daughters. We are eternally his. We are heirs to the throne of grace. And he's called us out of darkness into the marvelous light. And isn't that what this story of the wise men is like? The world was dark. 400 years of silence. No hope. No future. Left filled with anxiety and wonder of what the future might hold. And there he comes. And then there's a light. And then how do you respond to that light? Well, I certainly hope that Jesus uses you to help call other people out of darkness and into Jesus' marvelous light, because it is a marvelous light. It is life-changing. It is an inside-out transformation. He turns a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, and he puts his spirit within us to convict us of our sins that we continually change. This is a beautiful story in such a story that's been done so many times over. But you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of your darkness of living this meaningless life apart from God. And now you have a meaningful existence in God Thanks to the light. Praise the Lord. That is joy. Dear Heavenly Father, as always, I certainly thank you for all the blessings in our lives, especially those blessings that we fail to see. And so certainly, Lord Jesus, you are our joy. I've listed just but a few and trying to keep it to this passage. It's so immense. And I just want to, again, continue to say all of the, the good news that you've brought us. But Lord Jesus, certainly... This is, our. you are our joy, you are our hope, you're the reason for love, and you're the reason, as we'll see next week, that we can have peace too in a world filled with chaos. And so thank you, Lord Jesus, uh, again for your word, thank you for your salvation, thank you for newness of life, thank you for your church, and thank you for uh, allowing us to be a part of your kingdom. It is in your name, Lord Jesus, that we will forever pray until we're with you face to face. Amen.